Good afternoon and welcome to a brand new year and a brand new episode of Nothing to Hide. Um, this is Kate. We're coming to you from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, which is in the Lehigh Valley. Uh, I make that clear only because we do have listeners throughout the country, uh, even throughout the world. There are some people in Australia who I will say hello to now. They know who they are. Um, send in some, some good thoughts and prayers for the all the critters and all the people affected by the fires over there. And uh, tonight we have uh, we have Leo, and Leo is going to give us a whole bunch of information. He's going to tell us a little bit about himself. Uh, if you should have any questions or suggestions, you can email me at mkatespeaks at gmail.com. That's M-K-A-T-E-S-P-E-A-K-S at gmail.com. I will uh, get answers to you for the next podcast, and if there are questions for Leo... I will ask him, and we will get those on for the next uh, the next podcast. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Leo. Leo, go ahead and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. And- sure. Kate, well, first I want to thank you for having me here today. I think it's really important what you're doing, and I love the opportunity to get out and talk a little bit about uh, what has gone on in my life and what brought me to where I am today. Uh, I think it's extremely valuable to hear people's stories and kind of where they start and where they end up. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, you know, talking about some things that are typically difficult for people to talk about uh, can really help other people kind of put into perspective where they are and hopefully provide them some help. Start the conversation as we start like the conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so what I talk a lot about is ADHD diagnosis and also uh, changes in education. Um When I was four years old, my doctor, my pediatrician, during just a normal uh, checkup, diagnosed me with ADHD. And that didn't really mean anything at the time. It wasn't uh, what nothing happened. Uh, It was just something he wrote on on his notebook. But it was planted. The seed was planted. The seed was planted. And it would be second grade. I went to a small Catholic school on the south side of Bethlehem. Uh, Kindergarten was fine. First grade was fine. but by second grade, my teacher noticed that I was having difficulty sitting in class and staying on topic. I was getting up a lot to use the pencil sharpener, you know, silly, <laughs> silly stuff like that. And there started a chain reaction where there was an issue there. It went to the principal. Uh, after it went to the principal, it went to my parents, and ultimately they were given an ultimatum something needs to be done with your son, he needs to be fixed, or he's getting the boot. And for my mother, this was extremely difficult. Uh, she was basically had a, in charge of a lot of the decision-making. My father had a job which kept him away from home a lot of the time. And she grew up in northern Wisconsin. She was, for the most part, completely isolated from her family, didn't have much of her support system. Mm-hmm. And so... I think she felt very much overwhelmed and took the advice of the principal and and some of the other teachers and brought me to see another doctor. Um, And that doctor decided in a very short period of time, uh, we did go through the proper steps actually, which was kind of unique for that time. Sure. Uh, Seeing a neurologist in 1996 for an ADHD diagnosis wasn't necessarily typical. but we had good insurance and and those things were available to us. And so I had a 15 minute session with a neurologist uh, and then I saw a psychologist and then a psychiatrist. And at seven, I was diagnosed ADHD, uh, full blown 
put on Ritalin. Uh, I've, I have some of my medical records. I've done a lot of digging in the last couple of years mm-hmm. to understand it better. And I was on an absurd amount. We're talking 150 milligrams a day, oh my God. Um, 30s in the morning, afternoon, night, and then 10s in between if somebody wow. noticed I was acting up a little bit. Now, did you notice a change in, in how you felt during that time do you, th- that you're able to remember? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it was, I was a what I would describe and what I've learned through interviews because I, I wouldn't want to say anything without really understanding who I was. And at five, it's hard to say sure. six, seven, who I was. You're so, still developing. Still developing. And, and obviously, it's hard to remember things that, sure. that long ago. So I spoke to fram- family friends. I spent time with family. Uh, uncles, aunts, uh, cousins who were older than me. And the impression I got from everybody was that I was a pretty good little boy. You know, I was a little bit, you bring me to a jungle gym, watch out, I'm going to go nuts. Well, I'm that's what be you're supposed to do. <laughs> At seven, it's what you would expect. Um, and so I, as far as I, I could gather, I, I didn't have a lot of issues. What I felt, another thing I found out is I, my parents were told that I may have been having my ADHD may lead to a, a intellectual disability diagnosis because I was unable to learn. Mm. Um, and so also through that, you know, I found PSSAs because we were taking PSSAs in, in first and second grade oh, for God's um, and my report cards. And I was, I was doing very well in school despite this diagnosis before medication. Uh, I was, you know, otherwise a pretty normal kid. But when you put me in that school setting, I did have, you know, I had a little trouble sitting for eight hours a day. And I'm an adult and I have trouble sitting. Right? It, it's hours. not, it's not a comfortable thing for a, for most folks. Sure. You know, it's unnatural, I would say. Yes. Uh, and so after being medicated, I started losing interest. I started becoming detached. I started isolating myself from friends and things that I loved. And we're talking at seven years old. Oh. Uh, you know, I became a, a TV addict. I spent morning, noons, and nights, and when I, you know, inside, didn't really get out much. That's sad. Um, and in that first year of being on, uh, I was prescribed Ritalin, which is actually methylphenidate, not amphetamine. Uh, I had gained almost a hundred pounds at oh, seven years old. So now your self-esteem comes into to play. Absolutely, I and I started being uh, showing signs of of what a doctor might consider depression. You know, the, the lethargy, the, you know, the disconnection and these uh, actually are all effects. And I don't really like to use the word side effects because I understand medication or any drug or any treatment really is a cost benefit analysis. Sure. And they love to call the cost side effects, but really they're just, they're effects that right. occur with the medication. And it's a nice way to try to, you know, loophole around it. Mm-hmm. Uh so the pharmaceutical industry, they're yeah, wonderful. Yeah, huh? <laughs> and I hope we, we get to that a little bit, especially uh, just regarding to ADHD and kind of how a lot of big government and, and people that we elect to take care of us failed us and, and, and continue to do so and have done so for many years. Here, um, So I was then uh, diagnosed with depression and I was put on Effexor, which to this day is not FDA approved for the use in children. Effexor. Um, Effexor. Yeah. And so that is a, it's a adult uh, antidepressant. Wow. Uh, I can't remember what the actual, the clinical name or methylphenidate is a form of medication or amphetamine. 
can't remember exactly what it is, um, but it's extremely strong. And I was, again, on high doses for the time because this was pretty young. And, you know, by in 1990, there were maybe I think it's around 500,000 kids or so diagnosed and taking some form of medication for an ADHD treatment. By 97, you're looking over a million. And that has continued to grow to the numbers we see now, which is amongst all children, 15%. How much much validity do you give to that diagnosis? Or do you think um, that it just wasn't being diagnosed prior to those years? To the depression or the ADHD? The ADHD. Oh, well, so I would argue that was I more and more so as society continues to develop and we get further down along the line, it seems like children are losing their childhood. Absolutely. I agree. There's this idea that you get to five or six years old and you go to school and you should be acting like an adult and you should have your affairs in order and your pencils in your little case. And you should be able to sit there for hours on end when most adults uh, are unable to, in fact, the, the research indicates that nobody, even adults, uh, after 15 minutes of sitting still, you start to lose interest and, and stop being able to take in that information. Sure. Um, and that's, that's adult research. So with children, you shouldn't expect more of them, but we do. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, you know, a big part of it is outlet. And, and school works for some people. I know a lot of people who have children or, you know, kids I grew up with who are completely able to sit through right. a class, an eight-hour day, and, and, you know, be okay with that. There's another percentage of us, you know, 40, 40 50% of us who aren't doing that well. Right. And instead of kind of, uh, you know... I hate to use the word discrimination, but in a way, school does discriminate against folks who are unable to to go through the classical style of schooling. Right. There, there's a group of people who have, you know, I spent a lot of years not low self-esteem, not seeing anything good going on in my life, that I didn't have any talents, that there was nothing I could give to the world. Uh, because I was told that for years and years and years, whether it's the doctors or the schools or how, yeah, however you know you look what, at it. Wording like that should be, in my opinion, should be considered child abuse. Now, well, even, if, even, even if they if, do see that as being the outlook. Sure. Oh, you know, I, I'm I'm always a really positive person. I love to try to put a positive spin yeah. on, on everything. And, you know, I, I know of children who, who have been told, you know, well, you have this. And now that suddenly this label sticks in their brain and then they start to associate that with, I can't, I can't, I can't. And that's really, that's really a disservice because obviously you can't because here you are. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's something where, you know, even if it's not being outright said to you, you feel different, mm-hmm. you feel outcast, you know, as an outcast amongst the rest. And you start to develop these neuroses that are you're telling yourself lies for the most part. Mm-hmm. I have amazing talents and things to offer the world that some of those folks who do really well in classroom setting can't. Exactly. And, you know, one of those things shouldn't be valued more than the other because one of the great, you know, we all have something extremely wonderful and valuable to add to the world. And we should be teaching kids that from a very young age. And it's not, this isn't an easy thing to necessarily to tackle because it caught it, 
costs a lot of money and it gets mm-hmm. a lot of people upset because we've been doing it the same way for a hundred years. And therein lies another well, problem. This idea that, you know, this is new. So the idea of schooling and everything. Well, where are you going to spend that money? You're going to spend it on the front end of it or are you going to send it, spend it on the back oh, end of it one way or another. So, you know, instead of having it be the aftercare where the damage has been done and now, because, you know, there is that old saying, it's easier to build a healthy child than it is to fix a, or I think it's yeah easier to build a child than fix a broken adult, meaning that's on the back end of it. So now you're, now you really have a challenge because once you program that stuff in, God, that's so hard to deprogram. It really know? is. It really is. And, you know, I don't know that. So the try basically uh, after the diagnosis and then the depression diagnosis, um, I spent a lot of my life feeling the same way from seven. Now I got off the medication at 14. Once I went to Liberty high school, I started refusing the medication because I knew how much I did not like it. And I truly didn't think that it helped me. Um, also in my research, what, what I thought was astonishing is my grades got worse. Whereas wow. now that I'm medicated and all these things are, I should be doing much better. And instead of getting A's and B's, I, you know, I started getting now that could, it's hard to say if that's just anecdotal, if that's, you know, the cause and, and the correlation and the effect. Sure. It's, it's hard to say, you know, you're getting older, you're more disinterested anyway, around, mm-hmm. around seventh, eighth grade. But you know, that, that's what, uh, that's some of the interesting things. I do I want found. to touch on something that you said real quickly. Sure. Though. Yeah, of course. You said Please. about doing your own research and you know, I give you an awful lot of credit for that because we, we just spoke about it here. Um, in my office at work because the, you know, I come from a generation of parents who you respected the doctor. You didn't question them. They knew what they were doing. It's different now. And it's not to say they don't know what they're doing, but this is being done to you. So you have the right to know every aspect of your care. You being your own advocate is often, you know, unless you're severely mentally ill, like my brother, Tim, he couldn't be his own advocate. And that's where I became his advocate. But Everybody needs to have somebody who's who's really looking out for them because if you just blindly go into a doctor's office and they hand you you know all the all this paperwork all this medication and you don't know what's going on you're just going to take it and you know having that education in your back pocket is going to be so valuable because you know I, I was just telling you that I I was in the I was in the emergency room the other night with dehydration from a stomach bug told the doctor flat out I have to have a blood thinner because I have a clotting disorder. He totally ignored it. And here we said, I have a massive blood clot in my arm, which, you know, it's, it's benign. Thankfully, I'm not going to drop over or anything, but. Well, it's a shame. And, and it's really, had I not, yeah. Had I not spoken yeah. up, I mean, granted he did, he did it anyway, but I made sure, even though it was in the notes 15 times, well now it's in there 16 times. And the next time I go there, it'll be in there 17 times. So I encourage anybody to be their own advocate yeah, or, or to have definitely. an advocate, somebody who, you know, if you're, if you're timid about doing that kind of thing, like my mother was, well, I went with her, yep. you know, don't be afraid to ask questions. Knowledge is power. It's Absolutely. extremely powerful. And, you know, realistically, in my case, when we talk about pharmaceutical companies, you, they spend millions and millions of dollars every year for disinformation with through, through nonprofit organizations that, that say, you know, Chad comes to mind. Chad was this big organization when I was a kid 
who tried to lobby the DEA to make uh, access to these kinds of drugs easier. They also lobbied the Department of Education. They had educational videos explaining to children why they had ADHD. And I mean, to the point where they've been fined multiple times by the government for unsavory practices for basically peddling ADHD because it, technically the pharmaceutical companies aren't allowed to market, uh, you right. know, direct, direct to children or direct to, to families, but they did. I, then they w- wasn't, uh, a steadfast thing. Um, yeah. and so when, you know, knowledge is power and I'm, I'm lucky enough to have, had the access to a lot of knowledge through going to college and through, you know, persisting and being able to read things like uh, studies that come out from doctors Mm -hmm. and being able to discern that, oh, this is a really horrible study and they've done none of the work. They're not looking at variables and this is just basically a way, you know, Cebra or one of the big companies Mm -hmm. spent, gave a lot of money to the university of Toronto to do a study on SSRIs and to find results that were in favor of them. And they also own the study so that they can throw out See, the and that's, that's the shame right there. I, well, that's one of many, one of many. many, many shames, yeah. obviously. But to, um, to be given misinformation like that and to be, um, for these companies to be able to lobby and, you know, I know it sounds kind of, what is it, like a um, conspiracy theorist, yeah. but palms are being greased and you know they are. You oh, know? and this is something that's been found multiple, multiple occasions. And these are human beings, and and in some cases, yeah. they're children. For God's sake, you know what I mean? Yeah. Would would somebody higher up in our government just blindly give some of those medications to their child? And you sure. bet they would not, because they know they'll do the research and they yeah. have access to the care that you know that may steer things in a different direction, but. Yeah, it's it's so broken, and that's why you know I like I like seeing what's going on right now with uh, Mike Schlossberg and Susan yeah. Wild and everybody because they are make they are starting to make some changes. There's some conversations happening. Conversations too, really happening, important. but at least it's a start. You uh, know, uh, it starts with a conversation. It's yep. you know one of the one of the few things that we we lose more and more. But I'm hoping you know you see resurgence in certain areas is the power of grassroots and people. Mm-hmm. You know, if enough people make noise, it's harder and harder to hide behind a desk. Yeah. It becomes much more difficult. And when you have millions of people in arms saying we're not going to take this. And I should preface all of this by saying that I'm not like, a, you know, how dare you use medication? I, I understand that medication is an extremely valuable tool for a lot Absolutely. of people. It, it's sure. something that, you know. But when we're diagnosing people, children at 20% and giving them medication as basically the end all be all, the only thing that works. While their uh, brains are still developing. Yeah. While the CDC has, has looked through and done the research multiple times and said that there should be an average no higher than 2 to 3% in children who have ADHD. And I think about, you know, I, I read your book and I, one thing I always think about is Timothy and the firecracker. When he's on the bus and he lets the fire crack, or was it a smoke bomb go in the bus? It was, yeah, it was a smoke bomb. It he and his friend bomb. had the smoke bomb, yep. You know, today, it's that, that loss of childhood, to go back to what we were talking yeah, about exactly. before. Should you be lighting a smoke bomb off on the bus? Absolutely But should not. you be able to have a story like that to tell when you're an adult? Sure. And, yeah. And, you know, what, what's 
ultimately, like, how, how do we determine when a child is supposed to act in the way that we're expecting them to act? And, and you know, too, it's a generational gap, too, where, you know, with my brother Timmy with the smoke bomb on the bus, it, it, I... I'm not going to try to promote my book because I will give it to you free. Oh, I'll promote it. Yeah, it's well. <laughs> a great book. If you haven't read it, please do. It's, it's Thank a, you. It's a great read. Well, it tells, it's very, you know, it's... It tells Timothy. It's about my brother, Tim, who had paranoid schizophrenia. And because of his unmedicated illness, because it's very difficult to get someone with schizophrenia yeah. to, to take their medication, he ended up developing... Um, squamous cell carcinoma it was a cancer in his throat that literally ate through his his to the outside of his neck. So by the time we finally got him to the hospital, he was in stage four and he died 32 days later. At any rate, I wrote this book all about Timmy's life because I wanted light brought to mental illness because the whole reason he got to where he got to is because even he was ashamed that he had a mental illness. And then it got to the point where, you know, his reasoning faculties were just, he was in a psychotic state and couldn't make those decisions. But the childhood back in the 70s was just such a blast. I mean, and the book kind of details the, all the silly things that we did. We were outside all the time. We didn't. Yep. We were inside only when our parents and made us. you grew us. up with so many boys. I mean, you you know oh, how, yeah. how young men can be. The, the development of the brain is a serious thing. And it definitely You don't get it until is. 26. So, yeah, right. You know. But I look at now, you know, I raised my, my son. He's going to be 27. And he played outside. But I was always kind of in the background. Like I, sure. as a young girl growing up in the seventies, I wandered off. My mom had no idea of yeah. where I was. She didn't have to worry about it because you just didn't think that way back then. Yeah. Now. And I just had this conversation with my son. Now you have kids going, they're afraid to go to school because there are mass shootings and they're afraid that. And stranger danger. Stranger I mean, danger. When I was yeah. growing up, that was the big, you know, you can turn, uh, I think it was CBS or whatever the big network was. It's 10 o'clock. Do you know Do you where know your, your children, children are? are? Yeah. You know, and, and so we kind of instilled, and if you look at the de data, realistically, it hasn't, the horrible things happen in this world, and they it's a do. shame. There are horrible people who do horrible things But it's stunting us time. from going out and living our it lives is. to our yep. fullest extent, because fear that is fear. such a huge factor it's now. It's strong. And I'm going to be honest, I, I, I took a bus into New York City on Friday, and for a split second, going into the, the Lincoln Tunnel, I thought... You think about it. Yeah. I did. I thought about it. And I kind of chuckled at myself, like when in my whole life up until this point, when did I ever come across an occasion where I would even dare to think a thing like that? But sure. that's that's the world we live in today. So parents are afraid to let their kids go outside yep. and the TV's the babysitter or the phone or the iPad or whatever. Sure. And time so. just in general, society has moved, you know, the it's it's harder and harder to make a living wage. So we yeah. see people working longer hours. They, they're longer away from their families. They're, you know, they have their children in daycare. And not that any of these things are bad things. It's just it's what, you're what doing do to we survive. value? And, and, and you know, th there's a lot of money getting pushed around the country. There's a lot of things that can happen. That's one of the things I do. I work with a company, Reset Outdoors. And we try to go into companies and encourage them, first of all, to empower them and to make their employees the best employees that they which by the way I, and all that. Feel free to spout out the website for Reset Outdoors. Sure, yeah, it's simple. It's just resetoutdoors.com. Uh, you can find a bunch of good information on there, and we're gonna be having some more uh, bios put up uh, about some of the people that, that work there. And but ultimately it's 
you know, human resource versus human capital. Mm -hmm. A lot of companies use their employees as a resource and we, we chew them up, we spit them out. And then there's the, the, the growth effect where things that occur here affect other things down the line, other places, including our children and all these things. And, you know, taking capital in people and seeing how if we empower people, if we give them the things they need, we're still going to be extremely productive. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to be having the same kind of issues. Give some people time off. Give them, you know, all, all those really good things. And then, of course, you know, find out what's good about yourself because that matters too. Mm-hmm. And that's not an easy road to get to, but it's extremely important because you have to value yourself. That's you for a lot of people, especially I know with my mental illness, that was pretty much the big crux of it was that I did not value myself. I gave myself no value and I would intentionally step in front of my own way at any given chance because sure. I shouldn't be succeeding. So you were always in search and destroy mode. Like this is too good to be true. Can't work. Boom. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You know, I got through high school uh, pretty much unscathed. Uh, the only big thing is, you know, I had been taking pills for seven years by the time I got to freshman year. And there is something about being in a different state of mind that it can be quite enjoyable. And so, you know, I started finding drugs and alcohol and ultimately, you know, at first it was, I think what most kids do, which is, it's just a part of life of society of culture that, you know, yeah. we, we mess around with drugs and for some and alcohol. And for some folks, that's not, it's something that doesn't affect their lives. And for other folks, it changes it dramatically, dramatically. And mm-hmm. I, you know, there's also some really good, initial research. And I think that this is a body of work that needs to be studied a lot stronger. But of course, it's people giving out personal information, which can be occasionally difficult. Um, So it it started at Newport Academy, which is a drug and alcohol adolescent facility. You take people Mm -hmm. up to, I think, 25. They're across the country, but it was started by a gentleman who had his own uh, issues that started with ADHD medication. Wow. He was originally taking um, them... from friends. And then he realized he was very popular, good school, all that stuff. And when he was going to college, he realized he needed these pills. So he faked an ADHD diagnosis. Because and, now there was an addiction. Yep. And and then it spiraled for him. You know, it turned into to harder drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. and ended up getting thrown out of school. And so he ended up, once he got better, started the Newport Academy. And they were finding that it was like 60 or 70% of adolescents and young adolescents, like up to 25 year old kids coming in uh, with drug and alcohol addictions, over 70% of them had been prescribed some type of, of either uh, ADHD. Was there a mental health SSR. issue along with it? Were they so dual diagnoses? Yeah. It, the re- that's why I think there needs to be some more research to kind mm-hmm. of take out some of those variables and see if there's multiple things going on. Um, it's just interesting that we're teaching people we can fix something with a pill. Right. Right. And when you're very young and, and so what's, you know, it's hard to differentiate at 16. What's the difference between smoking a couple of joints and taking this pill? It's yeah. Um, you know, and this one's natural. It comes from the earth. So let's, you know, yeah. But while your brain is still developing, it could, well, especially yeah. with a diagnosis, like uh, your, your brothers, it's, Something that now there's enough research that we understand that uh, the use of marijuana in people who have schizophrenia and other uh, 
is it schizo schizoaffective disorder and yep. schizophrenia yeah it can uh, it can tip the scale it can tip the scale and then yep. the, those uh, diagnoses can come on earlier harder and so you know it's it's something where yeah you know it's a part of society it's a part of culture and a lot of people don't have problems with it and some people do and so you know that's that's kind of what I turned I, I really started enjoying drugs and alcohol. Uh, ended up dropping out of college the first time I went, uh, partially because I wasn't interested and partially because I was spending most of my time drinking. And, yeah, and you had more important things to do, right? Exactly. <laughs> yep. And man, I really, for the next couple of years, uh, I just kind of floated. I was working in construction, uh, still abusing a lot of alcohol and drugs, and would just wasn't happy. I, I, I didn't know that there was going to be any kind of big future for myself. Um, I, you know, I eventually was like, okay, well, I need to start doing something to prove that I'm worth something. So right. I went back to school, got a degree, uh, you know, thought I was going to do, I thought I was going to be a cop. Um, and that's kind of a problem if you're smoking a lot of marijuana. A they little bit, yeah. don't, you know. Yeah, so it's hard to become a cop when you have uh, THC in your system because they will test you pretty regularly. Absolutely. And it's not just the it's not just the urine test now. If you're going for something like that, they'll actually pull your air hair so they can look back much much farther in your yep. your past. So and so I ended up deciding after graduation I would try the military, uh, and so you know I started getting better. Like I got I stopped smoking weed. You can't obviously pass a piss test doing that. Uh, I stopped drinking. I had to lose more weight. Uh, I also lost a lot. So ever since I was very young, I was always overweight. And by the time I got through Kutztown, I was probably 350 to 60 pounds. Wow. And you, you know, can't was, tell that now. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have to me, I, I started putting myself in this position where it was, you don't have a choice. You have to. Right. Instead of doing what I, you know, this was something to me that I have to do this, which is kind of difficult because if it doesn't work out, you're setting yourself out for another. Well, look at this. I'm a failure. Yeah, look, I can. I failed at that, too. Darn. Absolutely. And that's kind of what ended up happening. I got, you know, I was down to 210. I was, you know, went through the entire process, went through medical entrance processing, made it through. I got to the point where I would do my interview for officers candidacy school. And I broke down, complete puddle on the floor, crying like I can't physically do this. Why? How can I stand up in front of a group of men who are deserved of the title and I have to explain to them that I should be one of them? Like I don't, I shouldn't be, I have no reason to be. And so, you know, I, I, I walked away from that and I, that's probably the worst I've ever been in my life where I got to a why and the road and if i go down you know basically it's nothing's ever really gonna get better right. so do i you know i i there were times when i would think like is this is this where it ends and then but there's a part of me an instinctual part that said this can't be it there has to be more to life there mm -hmm. has to be whether it's a purpose or something i'm missing and I had been asked multiple times to meet with this wonderful woman. Uh, her name's Cheyenne Meese, uh, Cheyenne, like Cheyenne Autumn 
Whitehorse is uh, her name for work. And she lives out in Richland Township on a farm. Uh, she is one of the coolest, like chillest people <laughs> I've ever met. And of course, I had such a this. I think this is a good point to, or time to bring this up too. I blamed and hated everybody. I blamed the oh, school. Yeah. I blamed my parents. I blamed the doctors. I hated that. I couldn't believe that they had the audacity to do this to their child, right? Mm -hmm. And she did a lot of interesting stuff. I think the biggest, most impactful thing that she did for me was help me change my perspective mm -hmm. and see it through somebody else's eyes. And I started seeing it through my mother's eyes. And, and Here's a woman who was being told by everybody who was in authority that what you have this to is do. what you have to do. And, you know, I started looking at it from more of a loving and compassionate point of view. Yeah. And in doing that, I was, you know, a lot of that weight that I was carrying Got started getting later. freed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you know, start to look at your parents. Like they, they did the best they could with what they knew. Sure. And they didn't do anything purposely ever to hurt us. I mean, Absolutely. they loved us yep. and they just, they didn't know. They, they didn't know. Didn't she know. didn't know that power is knowledge or knowledge is power rather. Yep. And, uh, and you know, back then, I mean, the internet was not something you, maybe you'd go to the library and catch it, yeah. but it wasn't something that people had computers in their home. And even so trying to access information like this, it's, it's still incredibly difficult. Uh, you know, if you're trying to look up for, for anything, not just ADHD or, or stuff like that, finding some really good information can be difficult we're because also, it's not on the top of the Google search engine. Well, and we're also at a time too where you're not sure you can believe everything that you look up on the internet. You know, a lot of misinformation. A we lot have of fake it. news. We have, you know, yeah. so it, it really is. It's it's. It's a tough time because you feel like we've advanced so far. We have technology and we have these answers right at our fingertips. Then I feel like you don't know if you want to trust those answers, but you know. Yeah. But anyway, so. Yeah. So Cheyenne, you know, she gave me a lot of other interesting tools and I'd love to share them because, you know, I think these are just like, you know, she told me, think of your life as a field and over in the corner, you have a big pile of manure, big mm -hmm. pile of shit over there. And, you can let it sit there and fester and ruin your life and it smells and it's just horrible. But if you spread it and you seed it, something beautiful might grow out of it. Yeah. And that hit me kind of sideways. I, I didn't, I couldn't really process it at the time, mm -hmm. but what that, that idea would eventually mean to me was, you know, I wanted to talk about what happened with me and I wanted other people to, to start listening and paying attention and looking at some of the alternatives. And, you know, I didn't want a, another seven, eight, 10 year old boy to suffer and go through the sure. same kind of things that I did unnecessarily. Right. Um, and it's like the Buddha saying, there's no mud, no Lotus. Yeah. Because the, 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 the Lotus is one of the most beautiful flowers, but where it comes from is muck and mud and dark and dirty. And, but you have to have that in order to, so if you spread the manure, you actually have to do that before you have the, the something beautiful. So I really like that um, analogy that she yeah. gave you. That's awesome. It's cool. Yeah. And I could definitely, uh, I spent a little bit of time on farms as a kid as well. That's kind of what got me into the outdoors. I mean, most of my family's from a, a 
my mother's side of the family is from northern Wisconsin, like way out in the boonies. I have an aunt and uncle who had a uh, cattle farm, and Ang- black Angus cattle farm. And I had other families who worked in the woods as, as loggers and wow. doing construction and all kinds of stuff. And I spent a lot of time, you know, out of the 30 years, I've spent seven years of my life out there. I also lived out there. So it was kind of preparing you without you actually knowing. A little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that I loved. And so when I was starting to get back into, okay, who's Leo? And, you know, let me find out, let me do some of what I love. Mm-hmm. Um, stop putting a, a, a timetable. Yeah, because I was, I was older. I was 27, 28 years old. And, you know, now things start becoming real. It's like, I'm an adult and I shouldn't be here and I shouldn't have these problems. Once I took my, ta- my myself off that timetable and I threw the clock in the garbage, yep. things started happening that I couldn't believe. You know, I started getting involved with great organizations, uh, National Alliance for Mental Illness. That's how I met you. Yep. Um, great group of people who do awesome work. And, you know, I'm really lucky to, to have the relationship with them that I have. Yeah. Um, it's through them, I met uh, Connor Moriarty and now I'm working with Reset. And, uh, you know, it's... And that's how I met so many people who have been on the podcast. Um, I facilitate one of the family to family, um, well, the family to family course for NAMI. And through that, I have made so many um, connections and so many amazing people are in my life now. And I just, you know, like you said, you can't have the lotus without the, the mud. And I think of that, like everything that we went through with Timmy and how incredibly overwhelmingly painful that was and, and still is when I think of those memories. Um, but like you said, you didn't want another seven year old to go through what you went through. I didn't want another family to go through what we, we went through. And so all these things were like the starter packs of where we are now. And so in in an odd sense, I'm, I'm grateful because I'm really grateful for the people who are in my life now as a result. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's amazing how that works. Connection is so important, you know, being being around people and which, again, you know, it's a kind of touching on what we were saying before. We're so connected with the Internet and the phones and everything else. But there's been a lot of sociology studies that also say that we're more disconnected than we ever. And that's sad because, yeah, it really is. The computer can break down and go away. That's, you know, those things can let you down. But your connection with people, that's what's really, really key. And um, and I think we are missing out on a lot of that. And 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 because of the connection with the Internet, there's yeah. a lot of divide, too, now. You know, yeah. you go on Facebook and, you know, there are any number of hate posts because, you know, the Democrats hate the Republicans, Republicans hate the Democrats. And it's such a shame because yeah. you know that face-to-face, people probably wouldn't dare say a thing like that. To, like, oh, my God, you voted for so-and-so. Because sure. because when you get face to face, you're just two human beings. You're just making yep. your way, and you know, like. Well, and it's a beautiful distraction, right? From really all these re- all these things that that are happening be. behind our backs that are really unfortunate. You yeah, know? and it should be a beautiful thing. It should be a beautiful connection because I'm a firm believer that you know, like Ram Dass said, we're we're all here to walk each other home, and I really truly yeah. believe that. And it's a shame that so many people are spending so much of their valuable time hating somebody for something and, and what have you. And it's like, it's got to be an uncomfortable mindset to, to live in because I know that, you know, I myself start my day with gratitude and the yeah. difference that that makes. And I didn't used to, I used to wake up angry because, Oh God, the alarm's going off. I got to go. Well, I don't want to do that. Da, da. 
But when you wake up and you and it, at first it seems unnatural to be like, thank you so much. I I, I get another day here. How about that? You know, yeah. I get to do it. And uh, once you start to do that, it becomes the norm. And and it just life just feels so much more beautiful when you when you can appreciate it that way. But I can't imagine being that angry all the time. Sure. But yeah, anyway, I kind of no, no, got no, off I've the subject. There. I mean, I have a hundred percent. You know, when I was going through, you know, multiple iterations of the bat, yeah, the the lows. I mean, I hated everything and everybody, and it it's it's a really dark way to wake up and to feel and to live, and it's it doesn't give you a lot to look forward to. No, and it's not you know, but but how you learn these skills, and you know, for me, it came through somebody that I, you know, when I first went to go see that uh, Cheyenne, I was like, people, I don't know what anybody thinks I'm going to get out of this. Right. If this woman puts a rock on my <clears throat> face, I'm going to throw it through a window, right? <laughs> Guess what? She ended up putting a rock on my face. Did I mean, she really? I, over time, I, I let her try. It wasn't for me. It wasn't for me. But you know what? I got to a place in my life where I was comfortable enough with myself to allow something like that to happen. Sure. And, you know, that openness at vulnerability um when you say a rock are you meaning like a crystal like, yes like a crystal oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm like wait a minute yeah, i'm yeah, trying to like those... visualize this yeah. like oh okay no it wasn't crystal. like a boulder i understand yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna hit you with this rock and you're gonna get it and you're yeah. gonna live happily ever after i understand yeah it was uh being open is is something that I want to meet really this important. cheyenne by the way yeah, I, really, I, would, I would love you know, to talk yeah to her. i should definitely connect to you both and and Man, I would love it if she would come on here because she's just Cheyenne. So, if you're listening, you're invited. Come be on the podcast. <laughs> so influential in my life to to get me to where I am today, and I always uh, speak her praises. And yeah, um, oh, I keep it, I have this thought that keeps coming in and out of my brain. So you better and speak it's it. Gone now. Well, no, oh, it's it went gone. out. Now I got you. Yeah, it's out. It's out now. I was going to um, say, too, you have so much information that if we do run out of time, you are always welcome to come back. I, oh, I appreciate And we'll do it like a part A, part B type yeah, thing. So that'd be awesome. Yeah, you have great energy. I just, I love it. I, I, I am really looking forward to, I had taken a, a break from the podcast and, uh, you know, people approached me and they were like, you know, what's going on? Why aren't there any new ones out there? Because sure. I, I kind of was like, oh, they're not taking when off. When you were not... busy, you do a lot of good charitable work over the holidays. Well, and I know it was really. I was busy, but I was also having my own little pity party because I, I didn't <laughs> see, because I get to see how many listens they get, how many people sure. download. And the numbers seem to be declining. And I and I, I just kind of felt like, eh, it's not working. Da, da, da. Yeah, and the time of the year, people are busy. Yeah, so I thought, well, I'll take a break. Well, then over the Christmas holiday, um, People were approaching me going, oh, my God, I listened to this one about such and such. And, you know, thank you for that. And, oh, and that's so cool. the different people who finally got the courage to go. And I, I felt really good about that. And so, you know. Thank you. And you just reminded me. Courage. Courage. Courage is just a word. And for, I'm sorry to the nice lady who I heard this from. She has a great Netflix special. But uh, courage is just being vulnerable. It's not something that's easy to do. No. But that's what courage is and doing something like that can be extremely empowering that the feeling you can get from opening opening up and telling people 27 28 year old male talking about his issues yeah is is not necessarily comfortable no definitely not um, well anybody's talking so about important. their issues anybody anybody of course but the thing is and and this is the way our society has become or has always been i guess um 
where you don't talk about certain things. And that's sure. the whole, you know, we could beat that over and over like a dead horse, but um, it would, you know, it still comes back to the same thing there. You know, if I have heart issues, well, yeah, I, I have to get a, you know, a stent or this or that, or, yeah. oh, I have cancer. Oh, I have this. Nobody wants to say they have a mental illness and why that has become such a taboo subject. I will never understand. I don't get it either because it's no different than any physical no. health issue. And it's a part of the body. It's a part of, and you know, it could be the treatment. It could be the, and without it, yeah. without your brain, not any of these other things are going to even matter, you know? Sure. So yeah, it's exactly. got to start there. It's yeah. got to start. There. Yeah. And it, it, <clears throat> wonderful point in the fact that that's really, if you think of it from an automotive perspective, that's your engine. That's yeah. where everything is coming from. I wouldn't be able to sit here and talk to you and move my legs and, you know, do all and those breathe things and if have it wasn't, yeah. yeah, if it wasn't for my brain. And so, you know, and that's where treatment too, like I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't want treatment. I didn't trust doctors. I hated them. I blamed them. And so I found my own way through another source, sure. which wasn't necessarily a doctor, but you know, there's a lot of really positive therapies that can be used that don't necessarily aren't what I would call quite as invasive. Right. I mean, when we talk about using, you know, ADHD medication on children, you're talking about changing the chemical, chem, the chemistry of the brain, of their brain at a very yeah. young age and While what that it's does to dopamine yeah. receptors and what that does to, you know, they say they know, but they, the reality is they don't. I mean, even there's research on the ADHD brain and that neurologists have done studies and kind of back to our conversation about if you're able to read the studies, the studies are horrible. From the get-go, they only use people who are already diagnosed with ADHD and who have also been taking medication. So it's very, they never uh, put in a variable for the fact that the reason their brain looks different might be because they're on amphetamine because or been, methylphenidate. Yeah. Um, That's but this is like research that when you try to go on and talk to somebody about it, they get well, you know, neurologists have found, well, no, they've done a study that's been published. That's absolute crap. It, yeah. It's not a good study. Um, and, but there's so many good new forms and some of them aren't new behavioral cognitive therapy, but it's slow and expensive. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Like right now, the way things are. So there's this guy, Keith Connors, who's considered the godfather of ADHD. He's the fellow who created the Connor scale, which is if you've ever looked into ADHD and look at how they diagnose it, there's usually a questionnaire. It started out as 45 questions. Some of them have been revamped into as short as 15. And it's simple questions like, do you fidget in your desk? Do you have oh, trouble concentrating? Do you, can you stay on task for more than an hour? Um, you know, the majority of people are going to answer no to these things. I've already answered no to the ones you asked. <laughs> I've taken it recently and I've gotten a very high score, which is not good. It means basically I should be on medication still. And yeah. I know for me, I don't, I'm, I don't believe I have ADHD. I believe I have a personality that is such that I'm, you know, I, I have a lot of energy and I found ways to expel that energy. Right. Um, but Keith, was a guy who for many years would go to all the conferences and talk about it and took a lot of money from pharmaceutical companies and did all the things that, you know, uh, a good psychiatrist should. In fact, I don't know if he was a psychiatrist. He, he must've been cause he did diagnose it and give out pills, but he, you know, he had multiple degrees. Um, I believe he, 
started his work at Harvard, his research. And when you look at how he told folks that they got other doctors, how they need to diagnose ADHD, the questionnaire was just a small component. Um, that was a preliminary, is this subject? Do we need to go further? Yeah. Yep. And then from there, you're talking about hour long conversations over months with parents, with teachers, with mm -hmm. the child themselves to truly be able to diagnose because ultimately still, this is a subjective diagnosis. It's not something that there's any subject. There's no scan or anything that you can absolutely see. Absolutely right? not. Um, <laughs> the closest thing is that study that I alluded to earlier where the neurologists have a study about the ADHD brain, but it's not a good study. It's not something that you could use and, and it's to validate uh, right. what they're saying. Um, so the the reality is is those diagnoses happen within 15 minutes in a pediatric office they're That's not just even not today still well we say that about all the different mental illnesses how <clears throat> it, you know with with some of like with schizophrenia and that a lot of times it's somebody being 302'd and now okay. you're you know 302 for anyone who's not sure it's being having somebody committed against their will and there's a certain language that has to be spoken in order to make that happen. And it's, you know, are you going to hurt yourself or somebody, somebody else? else. <clears throat> Excuse me. And oftentimes somebody who's 302 doesn't have insurance. So now you're 302. So you're being held for, you know, 24, 48 to 72 hours. Well, now what? That's not enough time to diagnose somebody. Sure. And even if it was enough time to diagnose somebody, now you're talking about somebody who doesn't have insurance. They're being kicked to the curb. They don't have the medicine, the money for the medication. There's no follow-up plan or anything. And that's, that's really, that's really a crime. Well, and traumatic, I have to imagine for some especially yes. if they're going through an episode <clears throat> or, you know, that I, I can't imagine what, if you could see that through their own eyes, we would see how yeah. barbaric it is. And see, that's the other thing too, is a lot of people want to discount that. And I can say this from experience with my brother, Timmy, he, he was 302 initially and, um, he did have insurance and got to stay and then committed himself for another, um, I don't know, it was 20 days, I think it was. But he was scared to death. I can't, yeah. And a lot of people don't, you know, you're hearing voices and you're talking to somebody who's not there. And so on the outside, you know, somebody wants to say, oh, you're crazy. Do you know how scary that is? You know what I mean? You you went from living at your parents' house to now you're in this psychiatric ward with with people who are, you know, threatening to kill everybody here. And there's, you know, they've taken all your electronics away because they're afraid you're going to harm yourself. So you can't have anything with a cord. You're not allowed to shave yourself. Yeah. You're being tied to a chair while the nurse shaves your face. Like that, that has got to be for somebody who's already paranoid, how incredibly frightening that must be. I, yeah, I can't imagine. You know, that just, that just makes me want to cry, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Me to too. Think. And, and that's, you know, <clears throat> that is like, I think about about mental illness as a spectrum, and we we kind of talk a little bit about like, why are people so ashamed about mental illness, about talking about it? Why are people, you know, are are keeping people from treatment, mm -hmm. um, or keeping themselves from treatment? And you know, and we always say anti-stigma and stuff like that. I think it's you know a big part of it is that it's on a spectrum. Yeah. Everybody has an aspect. Of mental illness Absolutely. nobody anybody who says that they can sit there their whole life and never feel sad and never you know i i can't 
it, that may be a mental illness in itself. Yeah, in right. Its own the inability to feel yeah, deeply I mean, enough to become psychopathy and, and psycho like those are the the lack of empathy, the lack of feeling uh, towards others, and that right. kind of thing. Like that's it's that's a diagnosis within itself. Um, so treatment, and then also you know that feeling of well now I'm different or I have a problem or. You know, I always tell people, like, let's everybody has problems and find the treatment that works for yeah. you. There's so many things for some people, you know, it could be really simple. The outdoors, get outside, spend more time breathing natural air, sit in solitude, turn your phone off, try yeah. to not worry for an hour, two if you can get it. But in time, and try is to hard. be, try to be open minded to things like yo yoga or yo oh, meditation or, yep. but, you know, cause a lot of people are like, Oh, I can't sit still that long. Or, You'd be surprised. Yep. And Give yourself you know, the chance. I have a lot of friends who say, well, I can't meditate. I can't keep my mind quiet for that. Well, I'm the most spastic spaz that there is. I sit and watch TV and my feet are go Cause I just, sure. I simply don't hold still. Well, and there's interesting research into this. So, Typically, what somebody will go through uh, in in solitude in mm -hmm. the outdoors, uh, your first fifteen minutes, you're kind of sitting there, like, ah, oh, what the hell? What am I doing here? Yeah, your mind wanders. The, and... the rush, the mind's rushing and wandering, and then you start hitting that half an hour point, and you get the fidget. You know, you start. I need to get up. I need to do something, mm -hmm. and then your mind's really racing. And then at about the forty-five minute mark. That's when people kind of start to calm down and start to notice mm -hmm. their surroundings, what's going on inside the body, outside the body. And it's kind of like a quiet zone. So if you can, if you can take the time to get to that 45 minutes. You start minutes, to look forward to it. <laughs> oh my God, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, one of the it's things like I chasing do, that high, yeah. Uh, is run. Now, I never was a runner. I never ran a mile in my life until I was 25 years old. And what it does is it gives me an hour, a couple times a week to be outside, yep. to be breathing, to be quiet. I have things to focus on, but it's just, you know, and that's, that's something that works for me. It doesn't work. Yeah. For and meditation um, doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to sit there and just shut your mind up. Yeah. There are so many different ways to know you can chant. You can listen to guided meditation. Sure. I'm a cyclist. I'll get on my bike, but not in the winter, but I will get on my bike and yeah. I'll ride for two hours. And I call that meditation in motion because it disconnects me from everything and yep. I get to just take it in. And, you know, so don't think of meditation as I have to sit here and quiet my mind. Explore all different options. A hundred percent. And if you get anybody out there, if you get to that nirvana, I mean, cause that's what, it, when you're completely, that's something that people who practice for years and years and years never get the opportunity to do. Yeah. Um, you know, th but there's tons of treatment out there, especially even if it's more severe, like if you have more severe ADHD or depression or things like that, there's transcranial magnetic stimulation, which has finally been FDA approved. It's been in the country for, I want to say eight years, uh, somewhere in that range, about a decade. Um, it's something that's been used in Europe for a long time. Uh, They're way ahead of us always. <laughs> yeah, you know, they've been using it for like 20 years. <clears throat> wow. Um, and the results, it's not intrusive. It's something that, that lightly taps the brain in certain areas to wake up, um, you know, some of the, the synapses and, and issues that are, or parts of the brain that are causing issue with imbalance. And it can be amazing for folks. I mean, and you're not, now you're talking, yeah, I'm sure there's talk therapy and other things involved with that, 
but no medication, no. So there's so many yeah. different ways, and especially children. Like, you know, kids, first of all, have a really hard time explaining what's going on. Yeah. They are way more intuitive than I think we give them credit. There's, They are little humans. They pick up on so much stuff. And, you know, we're constantly and more often requiring them to do things that is not in the nature of I always the say child. babies it's... are born perfect and then the world ruins them, <laughs> you know, and yeah. basically that's what it is. You know, you start to instill all this pressure on them and suddenly they're not. Yeah. I mean, when you start, uh, you know, I, I heard recently somebody talking about uh, entrance exam for kindergarten. Oh, for crying out loud. I man. heard, you know, well, and, and things I hear a lot. You know, uh, my daughter is doing really good in school, but sh she's really failing in science. I think she might have ADHD. Oh, no, I think she hates science, which yeah. is okay. You know, this Some people is are good at science, yeah. The structure of the education system that if we see a child failing in one of the aspects that we require them yep. to study, that means that there must be something wrong with I them. I got straight A's in science. I did well in English and writing, but math? I'm with you. Math was a, you would have thought I was dropped on my head yep. that I was not able to do to this day. Absolutely. Math is just not my strong point. I'm with you hundred percent when it comes to English and social studies and even mm -hmm. sciences. I don't have nearly as much trouble, but when it comes to math, you know, and some of that is I maybe I'd never had the right math teacher. I had a, a teacher at Kutztown, uh, Dr. Karahoka, who was the first and only math professor I ever had in my whole life that I enjoyed and I did well. I had a B. That's so the highest grade I ever got in math. There is something to be said for who the teacher is. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yep. And you know, the education system, this is nothing. It's not something that's put on principles and administrations. Sure. There's a lot of stuff that people, the individual matters, right? Yeah. So if you want to be there, be there. If you don't, maybe you shouldn't be, um, you know, understanding it and working with families instead of talking about Timmy and the smoke bomb. I heard a story uh, this year about a kid who threw an egg out of the window on the first day of school, hit a car. The guy didn't crash into anything, but he was very, now he's got criminal charges. Well, they were yeah. considering criminal charges. Should we press charges against a kid who's 13 years old for being an idiot? Definitely punish him, but not well, I said, to that you know, extent, but there, there are tools that we have been given over the you know the centuries that we know work like embarrassment mm -hmm. take the kid and make him wash the car in front of the whole school like yeah right out there right in the thing public and, flogging <laughs> yeah, I, I mean there, there's a lot of things and steps that could have been done to punish him in a way that would teach him a lesson without criminally because labeling now now we get into well now he's criminally labeled you know and it's just and that may define the way he moves forward now you know for sure absolutely i don't want to cut you off but we're just about out of time okay sure i'm yeah, so yeah. glad you came and we're I'm gonna so do glad. we're definitely wonderful. gonna do a part b so oh please um, anytime, stay anytime. tuned and by the way any questions for leo mkatespeaks at gmail.com i'll get the answers and we'll report back to you with our next recording and thank you guys so much and thank you leo thank you everybody appreciate it thank you kate